It's been obviously a very, very difficult day here in Yeshiva and in Eretz Yisrael, and every one of us is in a state of Avelus. Um, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time preparing an immediate, immediate test bait, a little bit of about what Ravamitam meant to me. I know that many of the Talmudim of Yeshiva had an even closer relationship with Ravamital and knew him better than I did. And obviously, everyone sees your Rebbe and your Rosh Yeshiva in a different light. But I know there are a lot of Talmudim that feel part of the Avelos and feel part of what the Yeshiva is going through. And I want to have a sense of exactly, aside from the anecdotes here or there, to be able to join and participate in the Avelos and have a sense of what Rav Amitam meant to this yeshiva. And obviously, Mirz Hashem, in the weeks and months that come, a lot of this will be elaborated. I just feel like in the heat of the moment, and a lot of us are suffering, a lot of Tamidim across the globe will have a little bit of a part. So, it's a hard thing for me to do, to try right after the Leviah, but maybe it's therapeutic for me also, just to give people a chance to have a chilek in in, in feeling the loss of the scuttle. Say that I feel like my neshama has been taken out of my out of out of me is is an understatement. Ramital literally is is one of the two people that changed my life. Remembering his speeches on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and running up to the front of the audience, the front of the base medrash, just to hear and, and hang literally on every word that Rav Amitav would say because it was so creative and so different. And he wouldn't just be talking to us. He'd be talking a little bit to us and crying with us. And he was davening on Rosh Hashanah and people were full of tears, full of tears. He would daven by heart, much of the davening. <clears throat> and he would always break down crying. Whenever he got to a point describing the love for Am Yisrael, the suffering of Am Yisrael, we'd sing, Mimkomo, Uyifen, Berecham, Avli, Amo, Ve'yachonam, Am Yachadim, Shemo, as soon as he said, Ve'yachon Am, he just couldn't continue, because he, he just felt the love for Am Yisrael, and the recognition of Am Yisrael's suffering and travails, and, but he wasn't just talking to us in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. He'd be crying and imploring us to daven, to do tshuva, to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Dvekos. And then he'd be turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and be talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He was, he was connecting Am Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, creating that love between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and between Am Yisrael. He reminded me a lot when he spoke like that, especially on Yom Narayim, Slichos Taim, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, reminded me of Rabbi Yitzhak Mivardichif, whose dialogue wasn't just with Am Yisrael and censuring them and critiquing them, but defending them, the Kodesh Baruch Hu. The love that he felt for Am Yisrael, and not just for Am Yisrael, but for Rabbi Yisrael, for the simple Pasha the Jew. A story that was told today at the Levaya. There was one on Purim a while back, and someone was saying, he was having a discussion that we're in that the way that we're mizdabek in the Shechina is by being mizdabek to Tamini Chachamim, based on the Gemara. But what happens, someone asks at the table, if they're not Tamini Chachamim? Someone at the table said something like, if there's no Tamini Chachamim or something, either there's no Tveikos, or there's no way to be Dabek in the Shechina. So Ravami Tal slammed his fist down and said, 
you can't be dabek in the shechina to tamenich achamim yid misdabek in the shechina. It's a simple yid, the kedusha of the simple yid, seeing every yid and loving yidin, loving Jewish history. He lived the the great great journey. So often, I, I just it's almost impossible for me, for, me, for me to get that echo out of my consciousness. It haunts me. And my whole sense of avodas Hashem, not just in my learning and davening and shmiras on mitzvos, but the, the historical struggle of being a Jew, where we've come from. I used to listen to Rav Amitzel speak. It was very much like Menachem Begin. He lived the Holocaust. For him, it was a it was a compelling part of his life in all facets. He told him to think constantly about Chovas Adam Be'olamo. What is my responsibility now that I've been spared? Now that HaKadosh Baruch Hu spared me and took so many others to Shemayim, what are my ensuing responsibilities? He sends the terrible, terrible Chidol Hashem of the Holocaust. And, he had, and that was what made him most pained, is when he sensed that there was a Chidol Hashem, because he, he sensed the terrible Chidol Hashem that he had lived through. And he was so intent on utilizing the opportunity in Eretz Yisrael to rebuild the people, to rebuild the nation, to rebuild Torah, not just Torah, but a beautiful Torah, a Torah that is tethered to history. He sensed it as an opportunity to Mekadosh Neim Shemayim in light of the Chilol Hashem. And, and to hear the pain, not even the, not even the anger, just the pain, deep, deep pain he felt. Whenever there was a Chilol Hashem, he saw a Chilol Hashem, that's like you'd hear his words, referring that he lived through viscerally in the Shoah. A famous, famous story that he told us. I once read in a newspaper article about some children who were stuck in a fire in a multi-storied building in America. The parents were waiting beneath the fire, urging the kids to jump, to jump, to save their lives, but the kids were too frightened. They didn't jump and they were burned alive. And he commented to himself when he heard about that story or read the article, how sad it is that people have a message it isn't often understood by the younger generation here. The parents were pleading with their children to jump, and the kids just couldn't see the wisdom of their of their pleadings. And he said that he feels that he may have a message, and he hopes that Kodesh Baruch will give him the opportunity for people to listen to his message. And then that night, after he had heard about that story, he was coming home to give up Mordechai, and he saw fire. And he went into the building trying to save someone, and he heard a woman trying to get out of a room, and he brought her out or helped her get out and said he thought that was a simon from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that his message would be heard by people, people looking for messages. And to hear of Amital speak on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and to, to literally feel the intimacy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to see of Amital almost like the, so to speak, like the Shachan, bridging HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Amisrael, telling us what we need to do, and give a yachol, telling, asking, begging a Kodesh Baruch on behalf of Am Yisrael. He literally raised you to Shemayim when he did that. And of tells the courage never ever met, nor will I think I ever will, someone with more courage. It's felt like there was such an inner strength, an inner strength that came undoubtedly, in my mind at least, from facing death so repeatedly. It almost became routine for him. This became, and talk about it in the same dramatic and colorful terms that we all would. It created this rock-solid emuna that we all picked up, this 
unwavering emuna. It was just so solid that it wasn't based on trivialities and presentations and falseness. It was just simply the emuna of his core being, the emuna and the Keshe with the Kodesh Baruch Also the courage not to be overwhelmed by petty things, not to indulge in pressures that may inhibit. I mean, he did so many things that were courageous in his life. Inviting the Lichtenstein to come join him in the yeshiva in the early 70s. It takes a tremendous amount of foresight and also courage. You invite someone of Lichtenstein's caliber to join you as Korosh Yeshiva. And that's really the secret of what made the yeshiva explode and, and burst onto the scene. A, the duality, there could be two Rosh Yeshivas that are so deferential and respectful of each other. And that's at a tone in the yeshiva. Without ego, without pettiness, without uh, competition, chas v'shalom. And certainly having the Lichtenstein's firepower in the yeshiva staff greatly, greatly bumped the yeshiva into the yeshiva that it is today. And it took a lot of courage and a lot of self-confidence in Ravamitao. And of course, Ravamitao's final gift to us, well, one of the final gifts to us, is that today with all the sadness and all the crying and all the tears, it was a day of transmission, a day of Masara. So hard for someone to launch their own succession. And two, three years ago, when Avamital realized that he had to participate in that process to actually step back and nominate your successors while you're still alive and healthy and able to preside. To preside. Just like Moshe and Yoshua. That's why today there were no fights and no disagreements and there's no jostling about the future of the yeshiva. As the yeshiva, we cry together and as the yeshiva, we try to continue on, but it's with such unity of purpose and common respect. And that's what Amitav's gift to us and it takes a person of great, great, great courage. Every time I face something that I feel fear about, I feel this resounding sense of courage coming from Rav Amitav. The love of Torah that Rav Amitav lived and didn't display, because he didn't like to display anything, but just the, the Chibas HaTorah, so, so often the unique qualities of Rav Amitav, the love of Amisal, the love of Eretz Yisrael, the vision, the Jewish historical consciousness, the lack of any pretense, they're very, very clear to people. It's almost as if you're talking about a general leader who's a politician. And Ravami tells us love Torah so deeply. I remember I once asked him, Rabbi, how do you make your children love Torah? And he laughed and he chuckled. Like he always would. And he said, Ain't patentim, ain't kitzo You know, simple solutions and no shortcuts. If they see and feel you loving Torah, then they'll love Torah. You can't fool your children. And that's a, that is a slogan that Ravami lives his life by. That it shouldn't be pretenses and false masks and he just taught us to be human beings and to accept and acknowledge our own humanity to ourselves and to be comfortable displaying it to others not to put on false images not to put on false pretenses of what we're not and he was so cutting and so determined to get us out of these delusions and, and to make sure I'll just quote one of them just it's humorous almost but he it always tell us at first, you know, people say, at first I wanted to change the world. And then when I couldn't change the world, I concentrated on changing my family. And when I couldn't change my family, I focused on changing myself. And Ravari tells us, that's not the way it works. Normally people try to change themselves. And when they can't change themselves, they try to change their family. When they can't change their family, then they try to change the world. And 
They're simple little counterintuitive statements that reminded us that sometimes we get lost in hypocrisy and, and lying to ourselves and falling into prejudicial ways of thinking and forcing us to cut through, cut through the stigmas and the self-stigmas and just see reality and to not try to become something we're not or to present ourselves as something we're not. Through his statements, through his passion, what passion he had. He can walk into a room and, and just have the entire room in his palm of his hand by one sentence, one statement, because it was just so insightful and cutting. I would walk by him in the hallways. I would hide my eyes from him because I felt like he would see into my nishama and see into my soul. I didn't particularly feel like being that transparent. And that was his charisma. He just knew that there was an honesty, and a groundedness, and a creativity. Some Rabbana, when they speak, and they could be brilliant speakers and great, great thinkers, but you know their overall orientation. You can almost predict what they're going to say, even sometimes how they say it. It doesn't make them less brilliant or less inspiring. Ravami tell, I would sit on the edge of my seat listening to every word because it was completely, completely creative, unpredictable, and just inspired. Not just what, we, what he said, but how he poured his neshama into everything that he would say. And not just everything he would say, but the fact that he would cry at the Purim Tishas, the Parsha Zachar Tishas. And he taught us not to be embarrassed that we're human beings and that we cry, and not to be embarrassed that we have flaws, and somehow to take this infinite Torah of Kodesh Baruch Hu, which is really compatible with Malachim, and help format it for a flawed and imperfect human experience. Oh, there's so much to say, there's so much to think about. The, the, norma, the word we'd always say, to be normali, to be normal, to be a thinking person. The 614th mitzvah, Kodesh Baruch Hu wants us not to do stupid things. Racham, chacham, benavon. And whenever someone did something stupid, he would say, that's Aser, because of the 614th mitzvah. The songs that he taught us, and the way he sung them with us, and taught those songs to us, or the songs that he sang on Rosh Hashanah Kippur, the songs of the Tish, this neshama that he gave us, not just the Torah that he taught us. The humility, the honest humility of not denying who you are, but understanding who you are and what you're not. It grounded so, so many of us. And then, of course, there was the ability to be quiet. The ability, someone mentioned today, Revio, his son, Mentioned at the spade and today, the ability not to always have to respond and lash out and retort when someone insults you. Or in the press, he got bad coverage or someone misrepresented something he said or said nasty things about him. The ability is just to be quiet and keep your peace. And we all talked about a little bit today that it comes from facing the Holocaust and seeing the great mystery of a Kurdish Barucho and realizing that not everything has answers and that questions. I'm going to kill anyone, the ability to say, I don't know, and not to be embarrassed to say, I don't know. Even if you're a Rosh Hashiva of the highest caliber. Remember once, I was, he was giving a sheer Klali on a very abstract topic about the color of an S-rope. And I asked him, well, can the yellow of an S-rope be compared to the yellow of Tsaras? And he said, why are you asking me that question? Go ask by Wolf that question. Danny Wolf, I don't know Tsaras, or something of that nature. And it was just so instructive and important for me to see that he was deferring, not, not artificially, but you expect me to know every halach of tzaras? Who do you think I am? 
that was the type of the way that he he was able to say harsh things directed Musa but in a way that was so loving and you felt such confidence in what he was saying they could be forceful about it remember he would come in for the dinners and for me the dinner was the yearly chance to reconnect we didn't have email or internet or anything like that and he would read his prepared statements in English and then he would ask the guests to say some words to his students in Hebrew and he would start lashing out at us. Why are we living in Chutzlaret? Why aren't we making Aliyah? Why aren't we in Eretz Yisrael? Again and again and again. And we just sat there enraptured, enchanted, even though he was effectively ranking us out. So we realized it was out of love and we realized that he was right. And, and then after he finished a 10-minute session of ranking us out and chiding us for whatever it was, not learning enough, not coming to Eretz Yisrael, then he would say, Shav Boner come, come, let's dance. We'd all run after him and dance in the circle. That was his charisma. That was his spellbinding personality. But he knew it was an honest, honest personality. It wasn't a fake or masked personality. And he also knew that it was a fresh personality. So it wasn't just thinking in stigmas and stereotypes, but was seeing life from a fresh vantage point. And it was a confident personality. And it was a courageous personality. But beneath it all, it was a personality that was simply grounded in Amuna and seeking, seeking that relationship with the Kurdish Baruch. And it made that relationship with the Rabbanus so real, so, so real in the yeshiva. Of course, we got in a relationship with the Kurdish Baruch, with the Talmud Torah, the Davening. But Rabbanus made our relationship with the Rabbanus, as it were, it's hard to say this, but he made it human. I mean, it's something that human beings, not just somebody can understand. And that's why so many people got so many different things from the yeshiva. Even those who, for the learning, was not able to give them that much. But just the openness that Amital had, the type of embracing yeshiva he wanted to build, and to allow people of different stripes and different colors to come to yeshiva, different religious backgrounds. The founder of a generation, the rabbi of an entire generation, Rebbe, whose yeshiva is responsible for three revolutions in our world. Number one, that Hezder is a lechachila. In 69, when the yeshiva was founded, Hezder was not seen as the ideal option, and Rebbe Amitav put that notion on the map, and today, Baruch Hashem, so many yeshivas subscribe to that notion. The second notion, that Tanakh and Machshava should be studied seriously, not just, uh, you know, uh, on the sly or under the table, but have a place in the overall curriculum of the yeshiva. Today, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. It's so much part of the mainstream in certain places. And sad, but poignant juxtaposition of Mitzvah Shem on Sunday. I don't know how, but the yeshiva has to go on. We're going to conduct a three-day seminar in Tanakh. And over 3,000, 3,500 people are expected. And that's every person that will step through those doors is a testament to Ramitel's vision. And then, of course, probably the most exciting putting yeshiva on a barren hill in 68, 69, honoring the memory of all those that had died in the independence war, building a yeshiva al-Kidesh Hashem, trying to re- reverse the Chilil Hashem of the Shoah, and then a town, a Torah town, flourishing around the yeshiva. The entire gush, all the yeshuvim and Efrat, the environment, the atmosphere of Torah that pervades these cities, 
and it all has a little part to do with our yeshiva. The yeshiva that Rav Amitav put up in the desire to connect yeshiva to reality and the desire to connect the yeshiva to community and to nation is a testament that's still evolving. Ramitel suffered so many tragic moments in his life from the Holocaust, which we heard so little about as Talmudim because he chose that silence rather than to elaborate. In the end of his life, he would share a few more, a little bit more with us. And of course, the great, great tragedy at the founding, founding moments of the Yeshiva, the Yom Kippur War, a couple of years after the Yeshiva was born, to lose eight Talmidim and to be broken as Rav Amitav was, and to have to show the courage that he had to demonstrate to his Talmidim or looking to him for guidance and for leadership. He's a broken man, but he still had that sense that we're involved in building this Yeshiva and a larger purpose of serving Jewish history and rebuilding the people and being Mekadesh Shem Shemayim. I remember him speaking a few years ago, I think it was Tavshin Nun Samach Gimel or something, 30 years after the Yom Kippur War and saying, crying, crying, crying as we speak. Saying the Arabs thought they could exploit the Kedusha of Yom Kippur. How dare! And it was a rare combination of pain and courage. He was defiant to the Arab challenge 30 years later. He felt the pain that they were attacking Yom Kippur. He said, how dare they think they could exploit Kedusha's Yom Kippur. And that's why they lost the war. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed the war to be reversed. Because they tried to exploit and manipulate Kedusha's Yom Kippur. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, that will not happen. The second reason, he said, it's because of the Messias Nefesh. The Messias Nefesh of all of our Talmudim who basically left the Yeshiva on their way to their death to slow down the Egyptian advance. Hi, and his they tell a story there of Amitai. He would literally go from Leviah to Leviah, giving his faith for his children. He loved his, his students and he loved so deeply. Anyone showed up at the Leviah of one of the of Yeshiva, which somehow was a joint Leviah with another soldier. And if Amitai and someone else showed up to eulogize the Yeshiva guy, a Yeshiva Talmud, and two other people came for the soldier. And this other person gave a rousing hespace for the Yeshiva Bachar, our Yeshiva Bachar, and then the other person who's supposed to speak about the other soldier gave a general husband, nothing really about the soldier. And then it turns out that the fourth person, the second one who was supposed to speak about the other soldier, couldn't make it. So essentially, if Rav Amitav would get up and be matched with his Talmud, then the Talmud would have had two husbands, and the other soldier would have been buried without a personal husband. So before Rav Amitav got up, he spoke to the family of the soldier he hadn't met. He asked him some questions, and he gave a husband about that soldier's life. And he wasn't matched, but he was the strength that he had to withhold strength of character, the discipline was something literally otherworldly. Otherworldly. I know I'll never see that simple strength of character. These are the initial initial thoughts that I have. The sense of duty, the courage, the desire to wed religious passion, and deep, deep commitment to Talmud Torah. Sometimes because of Rav Lichtenstein's known Chochmah, because it's such a world-class Talmud Chochmah, people unfortunately tend to cast the Amital as the Nigan Rosh Hashiva, and the, and the Hasidish Rosh Hashiva, and the Machshava Rosh Hashiva, which are all true. They're all parts of him. But both his love for learning and his knowledge and his skills in learning we're also world class. 
the, the way in which he knew Shailos Atruvos and Gerin Shailos Atruvos that people hardly read anymore. And that's what makes the yeshiva so solid. Yeshiva can accept different people and embrace different people, but at the door of the base matters. The broader questions have to stop. The base matters is not a study hall for general inquiry. And whatever inquiry and whatever experience takes place in the yeshiva it has to stem from that rock-solid commitment to Talmud Torah. This is something that Rav Yolamital spoke about today in his Hesped, and you can listen to that Hesped. These are some of my initial thoughts about my Rebbe, my Rebbe Mari. Hard for me to say those words, recognizing that he's no longer with us. But he is with us every time I speak. And half the time I'm actually quoting him, the other half of the time I'm saying things which I know are coming from my neshama. My neshama was so carefully constructed by Rav Amital through all the years and all the sichot and all the warm handshakes and all the jokes and all the times I observed him. That is literally inseparable. Nafshi, sure, benafsha. My neshama. Literally, literally, I don't know what's mine and what's his. So one of the Rebbeim said a few weeks ago, I was talking at a Rebbe's gathering, he said he once got up to give it to Dartar, and he gave it to Dartar, and he's really proud of the Chiddush, and then another Rebbe came over and said, oh, that Ravamita wrote about that in one of the older alone shvots of the early years, and he, he said, I totally didn't remember that, but that's how deep Ravamita's Torah percolated into our consciousness. Then we had a hard time, we have a hard time knowing what we are and what Ravamita gave us, because he gave us such a such a deep identity to the core of our being, every aspect of who we are, and every every time I cry for Am Yisrael, I say Shema Yisrael, I think about Rabbi Akiva, I think about Mesiris Nefesh, or I think about the Brisbane Habasarim. My life, not just as a person studying Torah and performing mitzvahs, but my life as a deep, deep-hearted Jew, a lover of every Jew, of the simple Yid, and a keen, keen participant of Jewish history and its struggle. It's literally of Amitav's voice echoing, ricocheting in my neshama. It's hard to imagine a world without him. Never to forget the person we met and never to forget to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the unbelievable schos. The unbelievable schos that not everyone is zachet to. Some of Talmudim had a closer relationship, some of Talmudim had a less close relationship with tell your children and your grandchildren the person whose presence you walked and how you had the schus to know and to learn in the yeshiva and one of the greatest men of his generation. A good Shabbos. We should only see each other and be with each other in times of simcha and joy. Everyone should have a nacham on Shabbos. A good Shabbos. <laughs>